Greetings. Welcome to the Great Lakes Horror Company podcast presented by Library of the Damned. First things first, we begin today's show with an apology for the lack of episode last month. Our intentions were good, but life proved itself ever the messy place for our production team and we had to delay the show. Good news though, we're back and we're working on some bonus goodies to make up for our unexpected silence. One more piece of business before we get to the meat of today's episode. We'd like to take a moment to thank our very first patrons on Patreon.com. Thank you so much for your support. We're developing some incredible new projects in the coming months, and you'll be the first to hear about them. Your support helps us to continue to improve and refine this podcast, and we are incredibly grateful. So thank you, from the bottoms of our throbbing red hearts. On this month's show, our roundtable will look at the issue of plagiarism, what it is and what it isn't, and what to do if you think someone has stolen from you. In today's roundtable, we will be examining the idea of plagiarism. I'm your host, Sefra Jerome. What is plagiarism? What are the consequences? What is the legal word about it all? In writing, there are only so many words to use, so many ideas and so many plots. They're bound to be overlap. What is homage? What is an accident? What is theft? In literary history, there are dozens of examples of plagiarism. Some are intentional. Some are likely the result of cryptomnesia or forgetting what has been previously read. There was that incident with Helen Keller. She was one of my heroes when I was young. I had a couple of books about her and Florence Nightingale and a couple of other people. I knew all about her. I thought it was cool that she was a writer since I wanted to be one as well when I grew up. I figured if someone who was deaf, dumb, and blind could write a book as both a child and an adult, I might be able to as well. At any rate, when she was 11, she wrote a fictional fantasy book called The Frost King. It turned out to be exactly like a book, The Frost Fairies, by Margaret Canby. At first, everyone denied that Helen had ever read the book, but then it was discovered at a friend's house where she had spent a few days. Helen didn't remember reading the book, but it was a big big trauma at the time. Mark Twain was a big defender for her. He claimed that it was easy for writers to have cryptomnesia, and he has it too sometimes. Of course, the horror community itself has a lot of plagiarism cases. I'll share one before we begin the roundtable. It's very easy to Google this case. Took me two seconds, so I don't feel like I'm speaking out of turn to discuss this case. But I will not name names. There was a pair of sisters who wrote under the name of one author who scored what I believe was a three-book deal with a horror house. They were the envy of all of us up-and-comers who frequented horror conventions back then in the 80s. These ladies were perched for fame and fortune. They were beautiful, funny, approachable, as their work hit a nerve with the public, and they were instant successes. And then the hammer fell. Apparently, two of their books lifted heavily from a very famous novel. They had done plagiarism in reverse. A horror fan had noticed the similarities between the two books, and soon the very famous author was in the loop. The ladies' careers crashed and burned, and I heard their relationship was never the same again. One of the sisters completely disappeared from the horror community. I believe the other one still writes, under a pen name, of course. 
So I guess the lesson with that one is <laughs> if you're going to steal from work better than yours, don't do it from a book on the bestseller list. Anyway, now I want to turn it over to Monica and Danan. So first I'll have you introduce yourselves. Monica? Hello, I'm Monica S. Kubler. I'm a contributing editor of Rumorg Magazine and the author of the online serial The Blood Magic Saga. Hello, I'm Dana Haas. I'm a publisher, lawyer, uh, horror writer, uh, both short stories and screenplays. Welcome. Well, we know plagiarism is the act of passing off someone else's work as our own. Um, where's the line? And is there a difference between the legal line and the moral line? Uh, Monica, would you like to answer first? I don't know. The line for me is pretty simple. You just don't do it. <laughs> You don't take something that someone else has created and say that it's yours. Uh, that's, you know, that's basic, like, stuff you learned in kindergarten. No stealing. <laughs> and Danan, and you can give us the uh, official legal insight into all of this. Sure. Uh, I agree with Monica. Um, in terms of the moral and legal line, in a sense there is. Plagiarism is actually not a legal term. So if you, um, the relevant act for any kind of passing off is the Copyright Act. So it would be a copyright violation, and there actually is a difference between plagiarism and violating someone's copyright. Plagiarism tends to refer to often academic institutions, and they will have a code of conduct. And that's sort of the, the moral side that I think you're getting at. Um, and even writing associations will have codes of conduct, where if, um, if you are trying to pass off someone else's work, you can get suspended or your membership can be revoked. But it may or may not actually constitute um, an actual legal violation of copyright. I would say in most instances it probably does, um, but, um, but not always. And what's the difference between a homage and plagiarism? Hmm. Interesting. Um, so in the Copyright Act, there's a provision called uh, fair dealing, and that allows someone to... Um, to basically reproduce copyrighted work if it's without permission, if it's done as a parody, if it's a satire, um, if it's uh, like a review, if, if it's like critical, um, and there's a few other exceptions. So that, that's an interesting exception. Um, in terms of homage, if you can fit that into the, the parody um, side of fair dealing, you would be okay. Um, otherwise, um, you know, the, the critical thing to understand in, uh, for, for copyright is that what's protected is really the expression of your idea, but not the idea itself. So um, in an homage situation, if you're playing on a particular plot line, that's probably okay because you really can't copyright plot lines. You can't copyright hooks. You can't copyright twists. You know, even the best third act twist in a film. I can, the next day, you can, you know, create something very similar in your own screenplay. Um, it's really when you get into the characters, the, the, the narrative, the, not even the narrative structure, but the, the sort of details of the narrative world that you've created. That's where copyright will exist. So I would say in an homage situation, um, if you're playing on certain aspects in terms of the world, the basic plot, you're okay. As soon as you start um, getting into... Um, um, similar characters, etc., and it's not in, as a parody, 
then he would be in trouble. Um, so just to go over to music for a minute, um, I was reading how Weird Al, I think we all know Weird Al, uh, does ask permission from the artists that he parodies to avoid lawsuits and such, but would he be able to do those parodies without asking permission? Could they sue him? Because, you know, he does use the same music, but he puts his own words in, but he is doing an homage because we all, you know, are, it's for our, everyone's enjoyment because he likes that artist and, yeah. you know, makes a funny song. Yeah. Um, would he have to ask permission? I think he could probably fit under the, the parody provision, but asking permission is always better. And I know with him is that he he likes to actually involve involve them in some way because it actually enhances the, the product. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say with something like that, that's so obviously a parody that he could get away with it probably without asking permission. But um, you still need to acknowledge source, right? So that, that, I think that's one of the through lines here is that no matter what you do, even if you don't have to ask permission, you, you can never pretend it's your own. You always have to say who actually did it. It's just whether you have to actually get the copyright holder to permit you to do it. Great. And uh, so moving on to another thought, um, how, has the, how has the internet changed the face of plagiarism? I think it's, uh, I think it's a lot more rampant now. Because with the advent of everything digital, and if we're talking about books, ebooks, where there's essentially digital text, it's just easier for someone to take a chunk of text, put a new cover on it, maybe change a couple characters' names, and then slap it up on Amazon for sale, and it'll take a while for the bots or the author's fans or whatever to find it, because how many, hun how many hundreds of new books are hitting Amazon every day? And I think you also run in with the internet to what happened with me and my cereal, which was it was lifted wholesale from um, Wattpad or one of the other sites that it was on. And this writer took everything, took the cover, took the story, and started re-serializing it on another serial fiction site under her username and was basically, I guess, going to interact with fans as if she was me because my name was still on the cover. So... <laughs> Um, I'm going to guess she was a teenager. Maybe she enjoyed the work. I'm going to give some benefit of doubt here because it doesn't seem like a very, uh, very grown up theft. But I think you run into the problem now where, you know, there's, there's kids and stuff and they don't know any better. And they're just like, hey, I love this story. I'm going to share it somewhere else so more people can read it. And they just, you know, they weren't taught in school or their parents taught them not to, you know, don't steal. Or they're just they a little disillusioned because, you know, music's free. Everything's free now. You can go to the Internet and get whatever you want you know, gray market, illegal download. And so maybe there's a generation that thinks it's okay to just take and, you know, it doesn't hurt the author. And for me, that, that situation was fairly easily rectified because they left my name on the cover. I was very able to uh, contact. I just went to this website that they posted it on, the serial website, and I found their, I filed a copyright dispute. I said, I'm a copyright owner. I'm actually the person whose name's on the cover. I don't know who your user is. Here is the official website for the book series. Here's other websites where I've serialized. As a matter of fact, I've even serialized it on your site over here. <laughs> that was the other thing the person had done. They put it on a site where it already existed, which was really weird. But, uh, <laughs> so you knew it was a teenager. <laughs> but uh, I would say at the same time, it makes it easier. The internet and you know digital technology makes it easier to steal, but it also makes it easier to get the stealing dealt with, at least from my personal experience. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, I think it's endemic to the digital world, this idea that 
you don't have to pay for content and that people don't really own content and everything's free, you know? And that's sort of the way that, uh, you know, people of uh, generations are, are taught now is not to have the, the same respect for digital content that they would print content. No one, if, if someone were to reproduce whole chunks of a book and publish it under their name, everyone would agree that that's, that's theft and everyone would feel bad about it. But somehow when you're in the digital world, people feel like the gloves are off, that it's, you can free will and that no one really owns anything. And that's, you know, and that's why we have such a piracy problem and generally a lack of respect for law when it comes to, um, to anything digital. Well, then I guess uh, for more writerly advice, uh, many new authors think that people are going to steal their work. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been to conventions and a new author will come up and they want to show me something they're working on, but they're covering the page, but telling me, but not telling me because they think I'm going to steal it. I'll never forget one guy showing me this book of comics. He's like, look at my drawings, but don't look, she'll steal them. And I'm like, what is happening here? I don't want your stuff, man. And I think new authors have to realize that we don't want your stuff. Most of us don't. Maybe those uh, sisters do, but everyone else, we don't. We have enough ideas in our heads that our brains are too crowded and uh, we don't need your stuff. But for new authors that are paranoid, um, these days it's pretty easy to prove that you wrote something. And... Um, you know, we have computers and timestamps and such. Back in the old days, they used to tell you to uh, mail yourself a copy of your work and don't open the envelope. And then when you go to court, you open the envelope and there's your work. But these days, uh, I think you can protect your copyright easier and better. Um, so, so what do you guys suggest that new writers do? Do they need to register their work? Their work? Uh, how do they know they have copyright? How do they know that, you know, if someone steals their stuff from their floppy disk in the night, um, that they have recourse. Before we get to that, I'm going to say for the most part, people who are already professionals in the industry no. are not going to scoop your work if you show it to a potential author you'd like to illustrate for or an editor you'd like to work with. Because um, now we haven't named names in this interview, but we all have heard these big plagiarism cases, both in fiction and in horror journalism and elsewhere. And once your name gets tied to one of them, it's really hard to unstick yourself from that. So most people who are working professionals know that and there's no way they're going to get their, they're going to get their fingers sticky with plagiarism. So I, I, you know, I do think that there are, you should protect your work. And I do think that there are places where your work might get stolen, like putting it out on Amazon or on the internet. But I don't think that for new authors that showing somebody in the industry at the con is your biggest concern. Your biggest concern is what's happening out on the weird wide web, you know, because it's still a bit of the wild west out there. And I'm sure Danan's about to tell us how best to protect your work in 2017. Sure. Uh, well, legally, uh, one gets copyright in their work at the moment of expression. So as soon as you write those words or like this podcast, if we're saying those words, it's ours. We own them at this point. So copyright is created and nothing else after that is actually required legally. So you can, um, you can register your work with copyright office. Um, you can use little copyright symbol. Um, they're not necessary. Um, they're not legally required, but I think they're a good idea. Just only, um, basically it allows you to prove that the work is yours easier. That's the value is that you're kind of putting the world on notice, this is my work, 
but legally you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is write, and it's yours. Um, in terms of um, you know people being paranoid that people are going to steal their ideas, I'm kind of of two minds on that. I think that I think it depends on what you're writing. Um, for instance, I think a legitimate concern is if you're writing, let's say, really high concept screenplays, where the you know, 80% of the value is in the concept and 20% is probably in the writing, you might be concerned that someone's going to take that idea because the value is in the concept. In something where it's very literary and the value is in your style of writing that only you can do and it's not as concept heavy, I think it's far less important. We hear a lot more stories in Hollywood of ideas being scooped than actual stories. It's always the scooping of the idea and... Whether someone got wind of this idea and then the studio. Yeah, like suddenly there's two tornado movies out in one year or whatever. Yeah. So if someone wanted to register their copyright, how would you do that in Canada? So you go down to the copyright office, you pay it's 75 bucks, fill up a form, you get a number, and then you put that number on your work. I did that with my first few screenplays and then realized it was a bit silly and I didn't have to continue. Um, but it's something that you can do. It's sort of an extra measure. But otherwise, you use the copyright symbol. You make it clear that it's yours. That's really all that's required. I was thinking you say pay the $75 for copyright. It's like, do we even get paid that for our stories? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ah, oh, yes, that's the bitter horror writer speaking. Um, okay, and uh, so... I know for me, I'm a big Who fan. Most of my book titles are Who song titles. Uh, uh, my old editor, Don Doria, said that if anyone ever did a deep dive into my career, that they could have a whole like thesis for a university paper about the Who. Um, so I like to use songs. And because I'm always afraid of being sued for copyright for my favorite artists, um, I just will say, oh, you know, Highway to Hell was playing in the background. I won't say the lyrics. But what is fair use for song lyrics in a book? Is it like one line, or is it, or do you just say that song was playing, or um, what, what would be considered the line between plagiarism and, hey, I want people to know they're playing that song, but I, I can't write it out because it's illegal. I think it's the line that you're drawing in your work, actually. Titles generally are considered okay. Um, if you start writing actual lyrics, you could actually get into trouble. So at that point, you should seek permission. Essentially, like the, the fair dealing only doesn't apply to literary works that are for commercial purposes, and that's what we're doing. So really, anything that you do, you should seek permission. Any, any line that you use, even though you're crediting the author, you should get permission. But I would say a title of a song, title of a movie, that's probably okay. Even then, you might be able to, you might get into trouble. They're very gray areas, and it depends on how steadfast the copyright protector is. But I would say generally you're safe on that front. I know um, in one of my books, um, you know, I, I really like Eminem. He's one of my dudes. And I had a character who, who was in love with Eminem, but my editor told me to take out Eminem completely because he's Mr. Sue Happy. And uh, although it's not really plagiarism, but it is in a way because I was kind of alluding to him and his life and her fangirlism of him. But yeah, I thought it was interesting that he thought he'd get sued when he's not even in the book. I think you'd be okay on that front because he's a public figure. 
Yeah, there's also, uh, and that, those, this was in the 90s. He was really Sue happy that year. Right. <laughs> so if, my editor was really worried. If you were saying something, I think the problem there would be more like defamation. If you were to say something about him that's untrue, mm-hmm. but referring to a public figure or something a public figure has done, that's news and that's fact. And so there's no copyright on that. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you get into his artistic expression and you start cribbing that, that's when you get into trouble. Okay. And then so we get into the whole plagiarism. You know, it's that time of year. Well, as we're making this recording, it's that time of year for university kids and essays and stuff. And uh, so with them, they have to be ultra careful with plagiarism because they can lose their whole year for plagiarism. So do you have advice for how they need to make sure they do their footnotes? Or again, it would just be the fair use, I guess, of... Well, and I think they would have, whatever ac- academic institution they're working for, they um, they would have to look up what the code of conduct is on plagiarism. And that, and that would differ. That could be either more severe or less severe than the actual copyright regime. Um, so they should know that to make sure they're not violating that. Um, but I think a lot, of, a lot of these problems actually do come in the academic space with students. Mm-hmm. So they should be weary. Yeah, and then they shouldn't be buying essays either because you have all these essay houses where all these authors are writing the same essay, so they're plagiarizing each other. I think think it's silly, but anyways. And now, um, I guess it's the same. So uh, if you're referring to a book or a story in your book or story, it's the same fair use. So what do you consider fair use? A few lines? You said, I guess, it just depends on what you're trying to do or... Like if I'm writing a non-fiction book about magic and I quote from another non-fiction book about magic and I reference it, but I only uh, I'll say, oh well, in this book they talk about you know braiding the broomstick and then um, and then I use like five words from that book. Is I think that it's fair use as long as it's in quotes and you've 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 given the source like. You know, when I'm when we're working on stuff for Rumorg, we're often quoting other news sites mm-hmm. or you know a, a book where something came out in. But at that point, you you obviously can't take a whole chapter of a book, and you know you have to you have to give proper attribution, which is the author of the book, the title of the book, the year the book was published, the publisher, and you have to put the quote in quotes so that it's very clear that that's not your word that came from that other piece of work, and you're using it as an exhibit in your article, not as your article. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's a lot easier, Monica, in your scenario, because Rumorg is essentially a news source for horror. So you're, that, that fits within the fair dealing regime very squarely. So you can talk about whatever you want, as long as you're putting in quotes, as long as you're actually referencing the source author. If you're doing it in a story, in a literary story, a narrative, that's where it gets a lot more difficult, because you're not going to fall under the fair dealing regime at all. So then you have to be very careful. And, you know, uh, some there's some cases in the States that are interesting where people would quote, they would think there was this general understanding that, well, you can, you, can, you can quote one little line from something, and that's fine, you don't need permission. But they found that even sometimes just a few words, there's copyright in it, if, especially if it's absolutely critical or, or key to the association the public has with that artist. So, for instance, there was a case dealing with um, E.T. phone home, right? People thought, well, that's a few words. Why can I not use that in my advertising campaign or something like this without permission? But that's so critical to that movie. Or another one was um, James Brown with um, I Feel Good, right? Someone was was sampling that in the song. 
and it's three words. But again, that is the, that's the first thing you think of when you think of James Brown. So that's like part of his essence and it's copyrightable. If it was another three words that James Brown said that is not so directly associated with him, you probably would have been okay because it would have been such a small amount. So I think that's where the line, it's not necessarily volume, but it's how, how important the piece is. Um, as an editor, I <clears throat> deal with, you know, lots of authors and, uh, especially self-published authors, and I try to impart to them how it is very important to get legal advice if you're going to quote. Because so many people will, like, dedicate a book, you know, to the favorite author or whatever, then they have, like, the quote, you know, of, you know, Mary Shelley or whatever at the beginning. Well, Mary Shelley's probably not a good example because I think Frankenstein's public domain now, but right. something that's not public domain. Um, and then, you know, they may, I've had a couple of times they come back and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm dedicating it to them and this is the quote. And, you know, I'm like, well, you still have to contact, you know, the publishing house or whoever or the Beatles or whatever your deal is. Um, and, and so... Can you say that officially on this podcast Absolutely. that even dedications and, yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, as much as you love, you know, the who or whatever, you can't start rocking out those who songs. That's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's, that's exactly it. Maybe if with a dedication, you can hope that they'll give you permission and not charge you. That's about the most you can hope for. But it's absolutely copyrightable. So you need to get permission. In almost all cases for any kind of narrative, you have to get permission. And I know Stephen King gets permission for all his stuff. And if Stephen King has to get permission, of course the rest of us do. <laughs> exactly. And from personal experience, songs are tough. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, every single time when I had Burning Effigy, my old micropress, every single time we approached an author or a publisher about quoting a piece of literature, we always got permission. Quoting other pieces of literature was always very easy. Quoting songs, very hard. Yeah, because you got, oh, you got to jump through. I've never... Aff- officially gotten a song quote but I've heard other people who've gone on that ride and it takes like years to get to the person to the person to the person to get the permission that you know then you pay then you know you have to pay eight hundred dollars or whatever to use the I feel good line or whatever and yeah it, it can yeah and you, again it's like okay you're gonna pay more for that quote than you're ever gonna make on that book <laughs> they made it a little easier in Canada now because there's a copyright collective so can for music so you can go through essentially a copyright clearinghouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know how much they charge and I don't know how long it takes, but at least you don't have to go after the original artist. I'm not sure if that applies to American artists, though probably not. Well, I didn't know we could use that for writing. Because I know like my son and, you know, I've done musical theater, so we pay the license to use, the, to dance or sing to the music in a theater. I didn't know Sokan was also good for If, if you wanted literary. to use a lyric, like in, in a dedication or just in the body of your mm-hmm. work, I think you could go through that. Oh, okay. I did not know that. I learned something today. Yay! <laughs> See, our podcasts are educational. Okay, so changing gears just slightly for kind of a last thought. Um, what about people's lives? Uh, can you write a story about someone, fictionalize it, and would it be plagiarism that there have been cases where this has happened um you know people recognize themselves in the story or whatever and i don't mean just a throwaway you're angry at someone and kill them in a scene it's like uh actual biographies about people and they're like no i don't want that biography told and shut you down um what's the line with that i guess that opens the whole question of what about all those unauthorized biographies yeah like what would it 
help us with the legal idea of this. <laughs> well, I would say with an unauthorized biography, if you could if you could prove the veracity of the content, then it's news, right? You're you're telling it's fact. So it's not it's it's you you can essentially say what you want, but you have to be able to prove that that's true, and that's the problem. It's very hard to prove and. It's a lot easier for the person who has lived their life to prove <laughs> to prove their version. Um, so I think that's that's definitely a tough one. What was the first part of your question? Fictionalizing, right? Oh yeah, fictionalizing. Yeah. Again, it would have to do with defamation, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. saying, okay, I want to tell the story of uh, you know Brian Adams, but it's completely fictionalized, then you can't use you can't call your character Brian Adams because that's defamation, right? You would need to. You would need to create a story of, uh, involving a character that is similar, um, you know, maybe in some respects, and then you could get away with it. But if it's too similar, then they probably would have grounds to sue you. But it wouldn't be copyright. It would be... It would, I know in the States, they don't have this in Canada, in the States they actually have a protection because the States is such a celebrity-driven culture, but they, they will actually have a, a protection for personality. So you, your, your actual you know, your name and your character and your persona is actually intellectual property. I don't think Canada's gone quite that far, but in the States, that's the case. So any uh, last thoughts from either of you about copyright, uh, plagiarism, copyright, stealing stuff, (laughs) titles, plots, characters? I kind of want to throw a question out there that's a little less kind of legal and a little bit more thinking cap which is, why do you think people plagiarize? What do you think the draw of plagiarism is for these various people who have done it and who've got, gotten caught spectacularly? <laughs> well, I think most... Well, I think going back to that 80s horror example of the sisters, um, they very badly... Because I, I knew them. I know I haven't talked to them in years, but um, they very badly wanted to be published like the rest of us and um you know there was a couple of big houses like leisure and zebra and kensington and um all, all these places were publishing horror and they're all all of the books were all very much alike and um i think with them they wanted like the rest of us to just get on that bandwagon and i think the first book they pitched wasn't i know one of their books wasn't plagiarized and it might have been the first one um and yeah and then i think they felt the pressure of that three book three book deal and had to hit those deadlines and they thought of things they had you know I don't know I'm just speculating I have no idea what went through their minds but yeah and they're like oh that was a cool plot point in that very famous book let's do that (laughs) and uh, so I think with them it was probably a mixture I don't think they meant anything evil by it but uh, but then we also know of some cases in the field where they just are blatantly stealing shit and putting people (laughs) their own names on it and I think it's laziness Um, some Sometimes I think they're just crazy and they just want to be that person so they just steal it and make it their own because that's their own, you know, they're crazy. And then there's people that are just assholes and they're lazy and they just don't want to do the work. They don't think they're going to get caught because they're narcissists and they're, you know, oh, the law won't catch me, you know, and they want to see their name on a book and they don't want to do the work. So they just pick and choose and steal and do what they can. That's my theory. I find that fascinating in 2017 where like everything these days seems to be set up to catch copyright theft. I, um, 
If you've been following me on social media, you'll know that with this podcast, we've been starting to put some episodes on YouTube, and every single time I post an episode to YouTube, I get a copyright complaint about our theme music, which we have properly licensed. And, you know, that's not that's not any human being going, copyright complaint, that's an algorithm that's like, hey, oh, I recognize this 30 seconds of this song, and now we got to put you through this process every single time you post an episode, and it's fine, you file the dispute and go, I have the license, blah, blah, blah. But I find it amazing that in 2017, people are like, I can steal this text and I will not be discovered. Yeah, because I, I, while you mentioned the YouTube, um, I do horoscopes on YouTube, as people probably know. And uh, when I first started doing them a few years ago, uh, I was showing the tarot cards and, you know, here's your card of the day and I'd show it. And uh, YouTube like gave me the big smackdown. And uh, it's like, no, you can't do that um, unless you contact Universal Games. I always use the same deck. So I just tell people what deck I'm doing. You can Google the cards on your own because now you can Google the cards on your own. Back when I started, you couldn't. And um, then I have to be careful what t-shirt I'm wearing. I can't be wearing any horror t-shirts or Star Wars t-shirts. I have to take all my toys off the desk because they flagged a toy, but it wasn't a Star Wars toy. It was something else they flagged. I think it was my scrat. They flat, you know, was, my video had a scrat in it. So I'm, you know, and that's all they consider plagiarism or copyright. So you got to be very careful. Yeah, so they're catching all this crazy crap. Oh, yeah, and then I did a couple of book trailers uh, that I did myself with my own music and everything. And uh, then they tried to give me the smackdown for my own book. Like, no, I, I self-published this book and I own it and it's mine. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, so, so they're out there looking for us. <laughs> but then do they catch the real big ones? I don't know. I don't know. It strikes me as funny that they wouldn't want a t-shirt or a piece of merchandise or something in your video because I would think they'd want people yelling about their products on social media and see, you know, cool people using their products because, you know, isn't that the best, you know, the best kind of advertising, best kind of word of mouth is like, oh, my friend Joe over there likes this band and, or likes this movie or whatever, likes this shirt. Now I got to check it out too. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, now I just am so careful because I don't want to record a whole, you know, half hour tarot reading or something. And then I get the smackdown and have to do it again because I don't have time for that. <laughs> You know? Yeah, I think on that issue, the, there's a couple things. One is that it's a cash grab for copyright owners. They want to make as much as they can. And also, there's a moral rights issue there, I think. So they, if you're wearing a certain shirt, like, like obviously, you know, I'm sure Star Wars would be happy that you're wearing your shirt doing that podcast or that YouTube. But if you were in a white supremacist video, then they would be, you know, horrified, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, they need to try to protect that across the board um, because they, they don't want to be associated with situations that don't reflect their brand properly. So that's probably why the YouTube algorithms are that way and why they're so tight. Um, in Canada, it's actually often very frustrating for people and people internationally look at Canada as a, as a copyright um, infringer's paradise, um, especially on the piracy front um, because essentially in Canada, people can really pirate with relative impunity. You'll get warning notices from, um, you know, Rogers or Bell or whatever. But um, that there's a there's a in, there's a line of like an insulation protection between um, your uh, um, internet service provider and the end user, so they cannot actually give the copyright holder the name of the infringer. All the copyright holder can do is say, look, this IP address has infringed. And then the 
internet service provider can then send a warning letter to the to the end user. But the so there's you know they can't sue you directly, and the and Rogers will not give the names to the copyright holders. So basically, you can just download whatever you want in Canada, and they're trying to change these loops. But Canada is by far the easiest place to pirate copyrighted content. So that's very, very frustrating for people. You shouldn't do it. Yeah, I saw uh, that some of the guys who do Black Fawn films uh, were talking about that on their uh, wall the other day of the, the, that piece of equipment and how evil it is. Because <laughs> in Canada, we can use it, no problem. And it's the same with with ebooks too. There's ebook pirate sites where you can download almost any book imaginable. Oh, even, a lot of my books are there. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 terrible for the copyright owner. There's just no royalties. Yep. Yeah. My 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 book, uh, Bleeder, the first book in my series, has gotten scooped up by all sorts of crazy, dodgy places online that I'm not even going to visit because they're the kind of places that you're going to go get a free book and get a virus. Oh yeah. Um, more. Which I've always thought is really funny because my series is available for free, legitimately, from places that aren't going to give you a virus. So I don't even know what these these people who've scooped the book and have taken it away are getting because, you know, it's not like they're selling something that's only available in stores. No, it's right there yeah, for you to enjoy. And one thing I, you know, I've changed my attitude a bit on over the years is, you know, way back when, you know, I'd get the gooks, you know, we all Google ourselves and have the Google alerts for ourselves, or at least we should if we have published stuff out there. So when you get the Google alert, oh, I'm on a pirate site, yay. And I used to get really angry and like write to my publishers, no, my book's being pirated. And now I'm like... It, I don't even care if it's pirated anymore. Cause first of all, if you go to those sites, you're going to get all the oogie bugs, like Monica said. And then second of all, it's like those people weren't going to buy it anyway. So, you know, they might as well, do, you know, if they actually read it and they like it, maybe they'll buy other books, you know. So I try and go kind of like the idea of, you know, maybe it'll serve some purpose because you can lose your mind chasing down all these pirates. You just close them down and it just pops up under another name. It's, you know... In the digital age, you've got to be a little bit zen about it. It's like Game yeah, of Thrones is getting pirated. You know, yeah. Stephen King is getting pirated. That self-published author over there is getting pirated. More it's up. sort of part of, you know, the... As much as there's goods of the... Uh, there's good to the digital age, there are evils to the digital age. And it's mm-hmm. one of those evils. And you really got to pick your battles. Like, I don't yeah. I don't pick battles anymore with dodgy virus written... Yeah. Uh, you know, sites, but I do, but I do pick my battles, you know, as I mentioned, when someone, a person, a real human being is taking mm-hmm. my work and passing it off as their own and interacting people with people, maybe trying to be me or something, cause that's weird and that's going to mess things up. So you got to choose your battles, I think. And, Absolutely. you know, know what the laws are know how to protect yourself and know how to protect your work. And just remember, it's still the weird wide west out there a little bit. I also think that in terms of why people um, plagiarize, I, th- I think there is that laziness and, and um, them just, you know, being an asshole, as you said. But I think there's also, I think there's also legitimate mistaken, you know, plagiarism. I think, like when I think about um, writing, if I'm trying to come up with a, a storyline or, or um, you know, sort of a, an interesting character... I often find that the first five ideas that come to mind are all 
if I, if I really dig in, are all ideas I've seen before. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's the first thing to come to mind is stuff that you already know. So I think if you don't press your imagination hard enough, you're going to come up with a lot of retreads. And if you get enough of those uh, kind of derivative pieces that come from a single work, that's when you get in trouble. It's not necessarily intentional. It's just a lack of imagination. Um, any other thoughts you guys want to di- dig into while we're here? Nope. We've covered this uh, topic quite a bit. Um, all right, so Monica, where can we stalk you online? Uh, you can stalk me online at monicaskubler.com. Uh, check the show notes for the spelling on that. And uh, you can stalk my series by going to wattpad.com and searching for Bleeder, which is the name of the first book. And Danan, where can we stalk you online? Twitter at uh, Hosman. And on Facebook under Dana Hobbs. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for uh, joining me today. And uh, let's keep our eyes open for those plagiarizers. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to our special on plagiarism. Sharing is caring, but stealing is, well, you know. A huge thank you to Sefer Jerome and Danan Hawes, who joined me on this episode's roundtable. If you've liked what you've heard today, you can subscribe to the Great Lakes Horror Company on iTunes, Google Music, or Stitcher. And you can support the making of this podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash libraryofthedamned. Also important, reviews. If you like what we do, please take a moment out of your very busy day to leave us a review. It helps more people discover the podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, just search for us by name, and on Twitter at GL Horror Podcast. If you have a question, comment, or idea for a future show, please email it to glhc at horror-writers.ca. The Great Lakes Horror Company is sponsored by LibraryOfTheDam.com. The show is produced by Sefer Jerome, Monica S. Kubler, and Andrew Robertson. Our theme music has been provided by Leslea Kierwurst. Thanks for listening, and may all your scares be original.